Welcome to In the Labyrinth of Death. I'm Finn. And I'm Marina. This week, we're talking about fairies. We've been talking about covering boating accidents for like several weeks now, but rather than covering such a broad topic, today we're going to keep it narrowly focused just on fairies. And fairy disasters may seem like a niche topic, but the story we're going to cover today sticks out as one of the worst, honestly most fucking frustrating cases of preventable death on a large scale. So we're going to go about this one a little bit differently. There's no set of rules for how to survive a fairy disaster beyond a few basics. We're also going to try to see what we can learn from one of the deadliest cases in recent history. Before we get into it, remember, as always, we're not experts at all of any kind, especially in boating disasters. We really don't want to die, and we like researching and talking about it. So please listen to the full exclaimer at the end of the episode, and don't sue us, we're just two regular people. Our story today takes place on April 16th, 2014, as the ferry MV Sewol completed its regular journey from Incheon to Jeju. The MV Sewol was a massive ferry. It's like fucking huge. I've only been on small ferries before where you like drive your car on and stay with it. This was like a multi-level thing where there was cargo, cars, passengers, individual internal cabins. It was huge. It weighed over 6,000 tons, almost 7,000 tons. And it was carrying 443 passengers, 33 crew, and 185 cars. Now, there are two important things to note here that are both going to come up later. The Sewol was only allowed to carry up to 987 tons of cargo. Including all the cars on board, that day there were over 2,000 tons. It's well over twice the allotted limit of weight of cargo that they could have on the ferry. The other interesting thing to note here that's going to come up again is that the majority of the passengers, 350 of them, were students from a local high school who were out on a field trip. What does it matter what the cargo ton limit is? Because if you're out in the open water, it's not like you're going to sink of this too much, right? I think it has to do with the safe weight distribution where the cargo is stored relative to the whole shape of the boat would be my guess. And I was going to talk about this later, but I can talk about it a little bit more now. This boat had, in the few years prior, undergone some pretty major changes structurally, and it was actually no longer as stable in the water as it was previously. So when the boat's already not as necessarily stable in the water as it used to be due to structural changes that they made when they were like adapting it to be the ferry that it was on this day, then when you have cargo that's over the weight limit, it may not be like weighted properly or secured properly inside of the boat in order to be safe. So this was a long journey. I think it was going to be like 14 hours or something crazy. So the boat had actually departed the night before at like 9 p.m. And now at 8.20 a.m., so the next morning, the Sewol was heading towards something called the Mangle Channel, and the steering system was switched from automatic to manual. Apparently, this was pretty standard because the channel had extremely strong underwater currents, and there were also hazardous rocks and shallows on the edges of the channel. But basically, everything was pretty fucking normal so far. The weather was clear, visibility was good, there weren't any crazy waves or anything. Now at 8.27 a.m., the Sewol actually entered the channel. Again, nothing seemed off. Even as late as 8.40, it was just business as fucking usual. Some folks were socializing on the decks, some were eating breakfast in the cafeteria. Again, this was a huge fucking boat. And at this time, the captain of the ferry was away from the bridge. And the bridge is basically like the command center of the boat. And instead, the people running the boat were Park Kang-kyul, the third mate, and Cho Jun-ki, the helmsman. At 8.46, that's when shit starts to go wrong. Park ordered Cho to change the ferry's course from 135 degrees to 140 degrees. So imagine you're just like looking at like a protractor, so you're going to move like five degrees over to the right. And this is the first right turn and also where we kind of lose clarity on what exactly happened on this boat. First, the account according to Park. 
who again is the third mate. She stated that two minutes later at 8.48, she ordered Cho to change the course again from 140 to 145 degrees, so five more degrees in the same direction towards the right. At this point, she realized that the ferry was listing to starboard, which is the right of the boat, so she ordered Cho to turn the wheel back to port or left to compensate and bring the boat back under control. But it didn't work, and Cho informed her that, quote, the wheel isn't working. The boat was now listing completely, and they had no control over it. So according to Cho, it's almost identical to what Park said, and the big difference is that he said he did not hear the command to turn from 140 to 145 degrees because he, the man at the actual wheel, knew that it was already listing, and so he was already turning to the left. Whoever's testimony was right or wrong, it doesn't really matter in the long run. Basically, what the court decided is that Cho really did hear both commands, and that he heard the command to go to 140, and that he then heard the command to go to 145, but that the boat, because it was already listing probably, turned super fast to the right, so he fucking panicked a little bit, and started turning the boat all the way to the left. And so then, Park, realizing the boat was listing, told him to go in the opposite direction, which should have meant go to the left, because she knew the boat was listing, and she didn't know he was already going to the left. So at that point, he says, go to the opposite direction. Okay, I'll turn to the right. And so at that point, he's gone the opposite direction from what he should be doing, because they aren't communicating, and it's just kind of like a fucked up situation. And so they end up actually doing like a whole loop back around. And at this point, the boat's basically got no control whatsoever. In case you didn't follow that exchange, here is a very brief summary. 846. Park tells Cho to turn five degrees to the right. He does so. Two minutes later, 848. Cho turns to the right a second time under Park's orders. However many seconds afterwards, the boat starts to list towards the right. Because he made two right turns up until this point, Cho is starting to get flustered and he says, whoa, this is turning way too fucking fast. So he tries to compensate, uncommanded by Park, by turning back towards the left. At this point, they're both realizing that the ferry is turning towards the right super fucking fast. So Park correctly says, turn towards the left in the opposite direction of the list. Now, because Cho was uncommandedly already turning to the left, He thinks, oh, opposite direction. I'm already turning left. The captain wants me to turn towards the right then. So they're miscommunicating. Park, who's not really the captain, she's the third mate, says to turn left. He thinks he should be turning right. So there is a complete communication breakdown. But at this point, it doesn't matter because the boat's about to go fucking literally sideways. And remember, the boat was way over its cargo weight limits. So as the ferry turned suddenly, remember we're going like straight to the right, the cargo shifted and basically fell over onto one side of the boat. So that's a lot of weight pushing the boat over onto one side. So rather than being upright like it should have been, the seawall was now tilting toward the water. And passengers at this point said they actually heard a loud bang noise. So not only was the boat literally like over twice the amount of weight it could have on it, They later found out that they didn't actually secure shit down with chains. They tied them with ropes, which is how they could snap and shift like that. And some shit wasn't even tied down at all. And to make it worse, so basically ferry boats have to be inspected to make sure that they're like sitting right in the water. So that's basically how they measure the weight. So there's a part of the boat underneath called the ballast where they basically let some water into the boat. And that's going to kind of like buoy up a little bit or down, or I'm not sure what it does. But anyway, it helps balance the boat. 
And so because they were worried the boat was going to be sitting too low in the water because it was overweighted, they actually reduced the amount of water in the ballast. So they're overweight, and then they've reduced the thing that's actually making them balance inside of the water. So when they did a fucked up turn like that, it was like a fucking perfect storm of shit being untied, shit flying around, and the thing that's supposed to keep the boat fucking upright and balanced, it wasn't full because they were trying to cheat the inspectors, basically. So I am no maritime expert, but the way that I think about how a ballast works is if you're familiar with like this little teeter-totter toys or what you call a weevil wobble, there's a little weight in the bottom of it. And if you tilt the toy to the side, it writes itself back up automatically because the top half of it is unweighted, but the bottom is weighted, right? So in this case, if you think of a vertical like cross section of the ship being like a top, right? They've essentially removed the weight at the bottom and loaded more weight than is necessary at the top. So any amount of lean that happens at the top is going to be magnified because there's no equivalent counterweight at the bottom. That makes sense. With the boat now leaning severely, water actually started to rush into the boat through the cargo bay and the car entrance. So two minutes after that sharp turn, it's now 8.50 in the morning, the boat is tilting 30 fucking degrees into the water. So Captain Lee at this point rushes from his private cabin up to the bridge, and as did an off-duty helmsman who'd been actually thrown against the wall of his cabin as the boat suddenly started flipping over, so he's just chilling in his cabin off-duty, gets thrown against a wall, so they both run up to the bridge. So Cho turns off the engine at this point. I'm not sure why you would do that, because then you have no control. And it's unclear if he was ordered to do that, or if he just panicked and turned the boat off. But Park, again, the third mate, she's inconsolably crying at this point. She just fucking loses it. Cho calls the assistant engineer and orders an evacuation of the engine room. So now, of course, the engine's off, and so there's nothing the crew can do to, like, control the ferry at all. And according to passengers, the power on the ferry has also gone out at this point, probably because it's taking on so much fucking water. So just imagine being inside the boat that's suddenly tilting an insane amount, like your world's just shifted, and the power's gone out all within two fucking minutes. And then apparently nothing happens, or at least no communication from the crew, for two full minutes. Then at 8.52, the passengers are informed via intercom, which was, I guess, somehow working on emergency power, that they need to stay in their cabins because it would be dangerous to move around. And remember, most of the passengers on this ferry are literally children on a field trip. Most people are inclined to trust authority figures in an emergency because that's normally the right thing to do, right? They're the fucking experts. They're telling you what to do to be safe. And that's doubly fucking true for kids, especially in a school setting, right? You're in an intercom. It's like you're in school. You're being told what to do to stay safe. You're going to fucking do it. And so even with the passenger cabins now beginning to flood, the vast majority of passengers, including the students, stayed put in their cabins on the boat. Now, obviously, hindsight is 20 fucking 20, but I feel like had everybody been on the same page about all the cargo that was flipping flopping left and right that amount of weight of pure like cars and other cargo that wasn't tied down would drastically overshadow any amount of weight that the passengers could have had so they could have been moving around on their feet or hands like as much as they wanted to and it probably wouldn't have affected how much it listed yeah i don't think the the captain or anybody was actually worried about it at that point i think they were just trying to maintain control over the people they didn't want panic on the boat and I, I don't honestly know what the fuck they were thinking because you're on a boat that is now sinking. 
How are you going to retrieve people from below the water? They, at no point in this endeavor, do they launch lifeboats. It doesn't fucking happen. And I also don't quite understand why you would evacuate the engine room. Like, sure, maybe you panic and turn off the engine, but why do you evacuate people from there? Was it also flooding at that point? Because I I don't know if it was flooding. My guess is the engine room was lower probably than the passenger cabins. And so maybe they were more at risk for, for flooding at that point. Still, though, why would you not just send the order to evacuate the passengers too? It doesn't make sense to me. I don't fucking know. None, none of this makes any sense to me. The, the number of failures that happen to allow this number of people to fucking die on like a regular ferry, it just blows my mind that you would not evacuate them. I cannot comprehend why they didn't evacuate them. Well, especially because I think in a lot of different cases, when there is a disaster on a boat, like a cruise ship or a ferry, whatever it is, your passengers might be completely fucking isolated from the disaster itself. It could be like fire. It could be like a fucking armed hostage, like pirate situation. Like if you're on one side of the boat and it's happening on the other side, you're not going to know. But the boat is tilting. Literally everybody is now at a 30 degree and increasing incline. It's not unnoticeable, right? So in this case where you literally can't fix it, I don't think you can fix a 30 to 40 degree tilt you have to evacuate. There's no alternative. So now at 8.52, after that first intercom, the first emergency call goes out, but it wasn't from the crew, which makes me insanely angry. It was one of the students, a boy named Choi Dukha. He was actually connected to the Coast Guard. He like somehow reached a fire department locally and they connected him to the Coast Guard. That He got bounced around and the Coast Guard was not yet aware that there was like a gi-fucking-normous ferry that was tilted and flooding. And so because of this boy's call, the Coast Guard dispatched a boat at 8.58, so six minutes later, that was officially supposed to oversee the passenger rescue. And it's just so fucked up to me that like a fucking high school kid had to make that call before the crew did. And then the crew made their own emergency call three minutes after him. I don't know what the fuck they were waiting for. And by the time they were connected to the Coast Guard, the rescue boat that was launched by the boy on the boat had already been sent out. So one super small note here, I am simplifying this a bit because where they are, there's like some different islands and different like municipalities in terms of who would go out and rescue a boat. So it's like a bunch of like basically small Coast Guards and like harbor masters and stuff. So I'm simplifying it just to call it the Coast Guard, even though there's a lot of different people at play, it just doesn't really matter at this point. So we're just going to lope Sorry, we're going to lump all of the like first responders in the water together and just call them the Coast Guard just to keep it simple. The Coast Guard called Captain Lee a few minutes later at 9.03 to get a report on the state of the boat. And the Coast Guard then stayed in communication with the boat from this point on. So at 9.14, the Coast Guard was told that basically that the ferry was fucked and that evacuation would be impossible. So that's the crew of this ferry telling the Coast Guard, nope, sorry, we don't think we can save these people. They're all doomed. And then at 9.23, the Coast Guard was like, what are you talking about? You have to at least tell them to put on life jackets, which they hadn't even told them yet. The boat's sinking. They hadn't told a boat full of children to put on life jackets. So at 9.25, the Coast Guard then tells the captain, Captain Lee, that he needs to shit or get off the pot and decide if evacuation is going to happen or not because the Coast Guard is not there looking at the boat and they don't have enough information and he has to make a fucking call. And they also tell him that they are like by boat 10 minutes away they'll be there in 10 minutes by boat and they'll be there in one minute by helicopter so like they're coming imminently you need to make a fucking choice dude get the people off the boat or don't get the people off the boat 
Now, I'm not a crackpot, but I do want to say that most of the crew survived this incident, right? And literally, like, almost all but two kids died. In, like, a different universe, people would say this was fucking planned. Like, some Korean mafia decided that there was something about this group of kids that needed to fucking die, and they set it up. Because it just doesn't make sense to me. How can a group of adults who all, again, survived tell these kids, hundreds of kids, to stay fucking put, fight your instinct to not drown, and just sit there and literally die? It makes no sense. Like, I'm not a conspiracy fucking theorist, but there is something to think about. I'm just saying. I'm not saying it was a conspiracy. It just reads like one. Like, this is, like, fiction. You wouldn't expect this in real life. This is fiction. It's gross incompetence on a truly horrific level is what it really is. The people on the boat. Now, what led the boat to be in this situation? That was inspectors being paid off. That was them cheating the level in the water. So there was nefarious shit going on. But I think it was just panic and incompetence that led them to not evacuate the boat. Or overconfidence, although they weren't doing anything to fix it. No. So what would you be overconfident about, right? Like you're you can't do anything. The boat is on its side and the engine is off. All you are doing is waiting to die. Or rather, if you're on the crew, and apparently there were reports that the crew was drinking beer before they were rescued. So they were just fucking chilling while they let like hundreds of people just fucking die in the water. The level of just insane incompetence and not caring just blows my fucking mind. I think there's a sense of maybe empathy that was lacking in this crew like i think if any of them were to think hey maybe if i was a kid wouldn't you want to tell them that hey this is a big fucking deal you know what i mean it just seems very unempathetic yeah we'll get into it more later so 75 of the kids survived out of like a ton there were hundreds of them um so very small amount of the kids survived and then some most of the crew survived and out of the 33 crew members only three i think went down with the ship and they went down trying to help evacuate the kids so there were some people in the crew who cared enough to fucking try all right so back to the story captain lee told the coast guard that the helicopter would not be sufficient to rescue the passengers because it's one helicopter and hundreds of people so instead of actually evacuating the ship he again at this point decides the lost cause told hundreds of children to remain in place on flooding cabins in a sinking ship. And then guess what? Guess who the first people rescued were at 946? Captain Lee, Helmsman Cho, and the first and second mates. Not any of the children. Literally the fucking captain, whose job it is to oversee the safety of every single person on board. He just pieced the fuck out and left hundreds of children to drown in a dark, flooded internal cabin. And like I said earlier, only three crew members remained to help rescue passengers, and all three of them actually died. They sank with the ship trying to save people. All told, 206 people died on the Saywall that day. 250 of them were students, sadly including the boy who first made the call to emergency services, which just feels like such a fucking injustice that he's the first person to do something right and he still fucking dies. It's just awful. So the vast majority of people who survived did so because they disobeyed the captain's orders and evacuated themselves to the upper deck, or they were already up there. And so because they were on the upper deck, this allowed them to either fall into the water, or if they were lucky enough and they were on the side of the boat that was upright, some people were also able to be rescued from that side there. 
One of the survivors would later testify that the boat had tilted so far onto the side that the window, like the outside window, was actually below the water and the cabin door was above them. So at that point, if you're like, well, shit, we're going to drown here. We need to get out. Fuck what the captain says. You can't because you can't physically get up to the door to evacuate. And so this one group that had someone testify in court about it, they actually had to wait to evacuate until the water actually filled up in the cabin enough that they could float up to the door. So imagine your cabin's filling up from the bottom up, and they had to wait until the water carried them up high enough that they could then pull themselves out through the door and then get out through the hallway. And that group of students actually survived. They were able to do that. And it's really interesting because apparently the class leader was in that room, and it was their idea because they were all wearing life jackets. And so they knew that when the water filled up enough, they'd be able to float up. So I just, I was really fucking smart in a shit situation to be able to get out of that. What I heard is that if you're potentially on a life-threatening trip or field trip somewhere, go with smart people. And try to keep a cool head, too, because you might be the smart person. Like, the fact that this person, the, the class leader, was able to think through and problem-solve and actually, like, save everyone in that cabin was because they kept a cool head, right? So you might be the person keeping a cool head. So just, you know, if you're in a situation like this, try not to panic and see what's actually at your disposal. They had the life jackets and the raising like water levels and they used it to their advantage. Yeah, to me, it sounds kind of like the reverse bystander effect where you want to be the person who doesn't depend on people and you can at least ideate even if you're not the person who goes on and does the thing, right? You can suggest to somebody, here's an idea. Yeah. And if there's multiple people in the group doing that, then great. You have multiple fucking ideas and you can find the best one, right? So this whole thing was just a fucking shit show on so many different levels. I didn't even get into it, but the Coast Guard didn't do enough to get the people out of the boat. I mean, no one from the Coast Guard went onto the boat as it was sinking. They tried to evacuate people from the outside of it, but there was basically no effort at all to get kids from like within the boat. And apart from that, the boat should never have been overloaded like that. They shouldn't have dumped water out of the ballast. Previous alterations that had been done to the boat had already made it more unsteady before they fucked with the ballast. So those shouldn't have happened. So there were huge problems and the blame got pushed around. And there was honestly blame to go around at all kinds of different levels. It was, it was a fuck up, a multi-level fuck up. Everyone involved fucked up. But to me, Captain Lee and the first and second mates who fled the boat first are the fucking worst. Captain Lee, like primo among them, and they were actually all charged with homicide, I think of everybody on the boat. And the chief engineer was also charged with homicide. There's a whole bunch more political fallout that we're not going to get into because I just frankly don't care about that part. But there's a bunch of info out there if you're interested. So take a look, look at the Coast Guard's response. You can look at the fucking political fallout. I think multiple like people involved in this fucking scheme ended up killing themselves. It was it's a fucking shit show. It was insane. Now, what's a little bit strange to me is that there was some element of corruption and bribery in this case, because you would think that if this was like a profit-driven mission or trip, that it makes sense. But this thing was overloaded for a field trip, right? It's like they were simultaneously taking kids on a field trip, but also like smuggling Aztec gold or something like that. Yeah. So. I don't understand how this situation could have been set up in the first place. Like, why are you bribing officials to sign off on a blatantly unsafe ship for a field trip? Well, but remember, it's a public ferry. There just happened to be a lot of students on there. They didn't charter the ferry. And so what they were bribing people for was that they were taking on too much cargo. So each trip they were taking, 
they were getting more money out of that cargo. They could charge, if they overloaded their cargo by twice, they got twice the cargo revenue on each run, right? So they were doing this probably on the fucking regular, trying to increase their revenue each time they fucking took the boat, you know, north, south, and south, north again. And remember, it's 2014, so one of the saddest parts of this is that the kids, as the boat was fucking sinking, were still making phone calls and texts and social media posts. And you can actually see some of these videos that they made in their phone calls on, like, YouTube and shit. And it's fucking heartbreaking because you know the outcome. You know what happened to these kids, like, fucking minutes or hours later, right? They died horribly in the dark, like, in the water and like, a boat they couldn't fucking get out of. Because once it's fully submerged, you can't swim out. You'll run out of fucking oxygen. It's just fucking awful because you can kind of see these, like, vestiges and artifacts of, like, the last moments of someone's life, like, just on fucking YouTube. It's just... I think it's sad. So ferry disasters aren't super common, obviously, because ferries run all the fucking time all over the fucking world, but they can be devastating when they do occur. If I, this is what I did to research, if you just look through the list of peacetime maritime disasters from the 21st century, many of them are ferry disasters, and they account for most of the super deadly ones, where it's like hundreds of people dying, chances are it's a fucking ferry. And one example is the most deadly one that was the capsizing of a boat called the Lajula on September 26, 2002, in which 1,864 people died. Even though ferries are safe and ferry disasters are insanely rare, if you're on a ferry, you can take some basic precautions like, one, knowing where your life jacket is, two, actually wearing your life jacket if shit starts to go wrong, and also being aware of where the closest exit is. And if you're on a ferry that's fucking tilting and water is coming in, I can't imagine a scenario in which staying put ends well for you. Once the cabins flood completely with water, you will not have enough time to swim your way out in the pitch darkness. You just fucking won't. You will die before you reach the surface. So I guess my big takeaway from all of this is, within reason, actually consider the validity of what you're being instructed to do in an emergency. I'm a fucking legalist. I like following rules. And 99.999% of the time, you should follow the instructions. But if it's something like this that's so blatantly wrong, like staying in a flooding, capsizing boat, don't fucking do it. We can actually learn from this tragedy and hopefully not follow instructions that make no fucking sense. I was just reflecting. I think that I would have been one of the people to die on the boat. I don't think I would now, in retrospect, knowing what happened on this boat. But I think that if I was on a boat that was undergoing an emergency and the captain gave us clear instructions, it would take a lot for me to fucking question that, right? Like, because I believe that most people who are trying to help you in an emergency are doing so, like, from the right fucking point. He's the captain. He should be taking care of you. So... I don't know. I just think that I, I think I probably would have died. And knowing this story now, if I were in a similar situation, I would not, right? Because I would think, well, fuck, what happened this other time? I'm not going to fucking die like that. But I don't think that I, it would have, I don't think I would have gotten off the boat immediately. Maybe I would have eventually, or I would have tried, but it may have been too late. So I don't know. I think I may have been one of the dead ones. I think if I were to have been in a similar situation that based on my prior experiences with authority figures growing up, I would not have been someone to comply with being told via fucking intercom of all things to stay put. And I know that I would not be that kind of person because I have been told to not do 
or not go places. And I immediately do it anyways, just because I'm fucking curious and I'm a shit starter, right? I'm not saying that immediately I would be like, oh, some kind of fucking hero and evacuate people. I just think if the boat was fucking 30 degrees on its side and I'm sitting looking around and looking at people saying, is this fucking okay with you? I actually probably would have poked my head out somewhere and tried to at least ascertain what the situation was. I'm not saying that these kids were lesser than me for not doing so. I'm just saying based on what I have done in the past, not that I've been in a disaster situation, but I don't think I would have just complied like that. Whether I could have saved myself is an entirely different question, but I think based on how I was brought up where I had a bad time with authority figures that it wouldn't be my immediate go-to to say, okay, I'll just stay fucking put. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think we're kind of opposites with that regard because I'm, I'm so much of a fucking legalist. It just, I have my hands sweat thinking about breaking rules. It's just not me. But I mean, some people on the boat had my reaction and some people on the boat had what your reaction would probably be. So the people who got out, they went up to the top and they survived. So if you're a person like me and you're on a boat that's sinking and you're being told not to leave the sinking boat, push through the I shouldn't break rules and just try to not drown on the boat. We normally talk about media in these episodes in terms of like representation of disasters and what's real and what's just Hollywood. But because this is so recent, there haven't really been any movies that have come out about it. And I also couldn't find any fairy disaster movies in general. If I missed one, let me know, but because I'd probably watch it. But I did find several documentaries that are out about it. Uh, so check those out if you're interested in learning more. The first kind of deep dive we did on this like years ago at this point was actually a YouTube documentary, and I think it was on the Horror Stories channel. So that was a really good explanation of it. That was, we've been talking about this disaster for like probably fucking two or three years now. And that was really the starting point for us learning about this. So check out that channel if you're interested. My last thought on this was that despite the speed at which the entire incident unfolded, which was literally in the span of a few minutes, and it completely sank in the span of a few hours, that it was entirely survivable, in my opinion. If people just acted faster, they would have all lived, which is the true tragedy. It wasn't that, oh, this was the Titanic and they hit the iceberg and half the fucking ship fell apart and you couldn't have saved people. This was not that case. You could have saved everybody if people just acted quickly. And I think one thing we didn't touch on was there were several cases in which communications from other countries, like Japan, for example, they offered to come in and help evacuate people, send in like elite retrieval units, and these Korean Coast Guard units literally turned them away. So it wasn't just a case of we think we can do it, but it was that we don't want help, which is outrageous because it's hundreds of fucking kids, right? You would think if there was one time in your life to not be prideful, to not have an ego, it's when there's kids involved. So there was a perfect storm of things that led to this disaster happening, but it didn't need to have ended with the people dying. It, it could have all happened up until the point the boat capsized, but you still could have saved people. And the fact that nobody was or not enough people were saved is the true tragedy, not that it happened. Yeah, that's pretty similar to my last thought. And my last thought is that it's important to remember that none of the victims are to blame for drowning fucking horrifically on the seawall, right? They did what most of us would have done. They listened to the captain of the boat, who they trusted to have their safety in mind. There are a lot of people to blame for the tragedy, like a lot of them. There were tons of fucking failures and people who just didn't do their jobs or cheated their way around things. So there were failures at many levels. 
But in my fucking heart of hearts, I blame Captain Lee the most because that was his job to evacuate the kids quickly, to get the life jackets on people, to get them evacuated. Fuck, floating in the fucking channel waiting to be picked up by the Coast Guard would have been survivable. They were 10 minutes away. If they said, hey, everybody, put on your life jackets, we'll get you out of the cabins, and then just fucking float in the water in your life jackets for 10 minutes, they would have survived. They, they literally would have if they'd just been floating in the water. So I blame him, Captain Lee, because he bailed and he saved himself while at the exact same moment telling hundreds of children to stay and drown in the darkness. And I think that's now all that we have this week for fairy disasters. So don't forget that we have a website in the labyrinthofdeath.com. You can also find stickers there on in the labyrinthofdeath.com slash stickers. You can also reach us on Instagram at in the labyrinth of death. So follow us and leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast and tell your friends about it. We'd really appreciate it. Tune in next week for yet another episode of In the Labyrinth of Death. In the meantime, send us your near misses with death to in the labyrinth of death at gmail.com. We'll see y'all next week. This podcast is researched and presented by enthusiasts, not experts, and is for entertainment purposes only. None of the content you have heard is meant to be taken as legal, medical, financial, survival, or any other kind of advice. Please consult with actual professionals.